Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, all that jazz. How are you, ladies and gents? How's it going? How are things? If you hadn't guessed, yes, it's all about that jazz. More of that jazz. Today, this isn't just any queen deep dive. And really, it's not even an official queen deep dive. It's what am I calling these? This is my kickoff for the next album in Queen's catalog. Last time we talked, last time we talked about Queen, anyway, I wrapped News of the World by revealing who stole my attention the most on the album. And that was, of course, our favorite drummer, Raja Taylor. But today, we are leaving news of the world in the dust. (laughs) No, we're not talking about that album yet. We're not quite there. Got another album to go. Nope. This time, we're talking about an album that I desperately wanted. When I was collecting Queen's albums, this one was, I think, one of the ones I wanted the most because I was streaming the albums first, right? I mean, I had to listen to the music. I I had to stream them until I found them myself. And I didn't get them online. I went to many small, obscure, tiny little shops throughout the entire region of Seattle and beyond to find every single Queen album on disc. And I've yet to start my vinyl collection, but I don't have a turntable yet. So that will begin when the time is right. But anyway, yes, this album is, I gotta say, yeah, it's kind of a favorite of mine. And we are talking today, guys, we are kicking off Queen's album, Jazz. Their seventh, released on November 10th of 1978 in the UK, and November 14th of 1978 in the U.S. I mean, so really, just mid-November, right? (laughs) Close enough. And it was recorded from July through October of 1978, which is very different than the previous album. The previous album was recorded in just about a couple of months' time. So here, we have a little bit more time spent in the studios. And we'll talk about where the guys recorded, which is a very interesting thing to note, where and why they recorded where they did. This album did pretty well in the grand scheme of things. It was number two in the UK. And you guys, that's better than the previous album, News of the World, which was number four. And it was number six in the US, which is unfortunate. (laughs) Still a great number to fall at, but News of the World was number three. So the guys fell a few notches down on the billboard, but hey, still in the top 10, still an album that I think the fandom definitely appreciated from the get-go, straight away. But this album is quite interesting. If you remember, News of the World, okay? 1977. When the guys released News of the World, it was a huge, stark contrast against the elaborate, ornate, 
produced, orchestrated album, A Day at the Races, which was the sister album to the also heavily operatic A Night at the Opera. The guys made a conscious decision to scale back, minimize, make this very straightforward performance album that's very rock and very heavy and edgy and angsty and all those things when they made News of the World. It sounds like something that's a big, long jam session, and that's one of the characteristics about it that I love the most. But I think part of the motivation, if I had to guess, part of the motivation behind News of the World was this realization that they were never going to please, especially the British music press. So they decided, whatever, we're going to do what we want to do, period. And out of that frustration, partially, at least, came News of the World. The guys started to... I think in some ways express themselves a little bit more directly, not like our guys have ever been indirect, but some edgier moments, the chip on the shoulder thing we talked about. And I think part of that is retained with jazz, except jazz is fun. If I was going to pick a word that summarizes Queen's seventh album, Jazz, I would tell you fun. And it's not just because we have a song called Fun It, which is Roger Taylor's song and one of my favorites from that man. But this album is so celebratory and fun that I think it takes that sort of we're going to do whatever we want approach and amps it up just a little bit more. I would say this is a very sleek album. I'm going to mention that word probably several more times because I'm not the only one that thinks jazz is quite sleek. But yeah, this album did not drop without controversy. (laughs) And there's several reasons for that. And of course, I'll get into that as we talk about the publications, what they wrote, reviews of the album at the time, as well as retrospect, retrospective reviews. We're going to talk about that too, because I think this album's vibe has shifted. I think the perception of it has shifted over the decades and, and how feel, blah, how people feel about it now is, I mean, even for me, it's, it's evolved a little bit. I've still, I love the album. I've always loved it, but, but it's changed. My perception of it has changed and that's partially learning about the songs and where they came from, learning about the sentiment of the album at the time, watching live performances of it, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that feed into our opinions, right? And I think even mine has been affected a little bit by that. But jazz is, yeah, it is fun. And I have to start off with comments from the boys. I want to talk about comments from the guys. So when I, when I find them, at least up until this point, I found a lot of them in print, in publication archives. Because when the guys were a little younger, and maybe this is just an evolution of speaking with the press too and doing more video interviews, but when they were younger and just getting started, I see a lot more archived press pieces, interviews, print press pieces, which is nice because you can literally go back and and take quotes and copy and paste them. And I have them right there for, for my reference. But with this album, I really had to start going and lis- listening 
to interviews and watching videos of the guys, you know, visiting Japan again or going here or there. So what I'm starting to to notice is not only are the guys imprint less, but they're a lot less forthcoming about pretty much everything. And before I talk more about that, I want to give you guys some of these wonderful statements from the boys. And of course, I always pull out the ones that I think epitomize the album the best and speak to the creative process, the motivation, the attitude the boys have around the album and its music, etc. Here we go. First quote, people think we take ourselves a lot more seriously than we actually do. And that was from Roger Taylor from the 78 Circus Magazine write-up. And I want to talk about that right out the gate because it perfectly summarizes this album. The guys are having fun. I mean, yeah, they're throwing a little bit of their attitude out there. But I think here that angst and tension has sort of turned around into this more enthusiastic, fun energy. And I think a lot of people want to read too much into these fun numbers. And that's exactly why this statement from Roger says everything. I mean, really, that's all I have to say. But of course, I want to quote the other boys as well. But that, I just felt like that was the perfect one to open with because, yeah, that is, we should not be taking this too seriously, you guys, as we go into the breakdowns, the deep dives of every single jazz song. Now, regarding the album's title, Jazz, Freddie, during a Japanese interview, said, quote, actually, it was Roger's idea. It was a sort of working title. And finally, we thought it was good enough to keep it that way, unquote. And in that same interview, Roger elaborated more, saying, quote, it has several meanings, not just jazz the music. It also means jive. It has different levels of meaning, and it's just an interesting title, apart from being a very striking word, a good short word, unquote. Now, I want to point out, too, Roger's comment about what quote-unquote rock music is, and he alludes to it being very modern, encompassing a lot of different artists and styles. And Brian actually says something very deep when asked the same question that rock involves the body and the mind. It's so different than our current ideas of rock, isn't it? I mean, think about it. When we think about rock music now, it actually seems very antiquated. I mean, I can't tell you the number of articles I've seen within the last five or 10 years that say rock is dead, which really makes me sad because I think it's a very foundational piece of where we are in music in general. Yes, electronic trends have taken over in a large way, in a, in a huge way, in the music industry. And it started with the underground electronica, deep club mix music. And that sort of permeated up to everything now. Pop music, hip-hop music, rap music. Everybody's adding these little elements of electronic synthesized sounding stuff. And, and I remember... There was a time when I loved that. I remember thinking when I fell in love with electronic music in the late 90s, I remember thinking it would be so cool if this permeated every genre ever. And it's actually quite the opposite. I, I find it very, it's become so mainstream. I think electronic music, certain electronic music has lost 
that charm. It's lost the novelty, which made it so special and interesting. So now I'd actually like to see a return back to this sort of classic rock sound. But just hearing the guys talk about what their definition of rock music is was so fascinating to me. Now, at a Brussels interview in 1979, the boys all talked about the album jazz and general music stuff. And Brian said, quote, We're very lucky in that people tend to understand what we do. We don't feel that we have to adapt ourselves to the audience. People understand what we want to do as musicians, unquote. And regarding jazz specifically, we have this gem, quote, this album, we've changed again, and we're trying some new directions, unquote. And that again was Brian talking to what they did on News of the World and how they were just continuing to explore these new musical regions. And in that same interview, the interviewer mentions how sometimes the guys have been badly treated by the rock press. And Freddie concurs with, quote, very badly, unquote. And Roger says, quote, abused. (laughs) And they grin when they say it, but you can see the disdain. There's almost like this twinkle in the eye, like they they know just how badly they've been knocked down again and again. So clearly, we've gone from enthusiastic anticipation to speak about the music and their love for it to a much more cautious and hesitant display with the press. And this goes back to what I was talking about before I went into these comments from the boys. I've mentioned this so many times, how when they were younger, this want, this need to talk about the processes and and how they made their music and what was so motivational, it was so green and young and enthusiastic. But I think this constant beatdown by the press and these pervasive, really offensive questions at times has made the guys much more hesitant and cautious and very much on their guard. And you can see that in their body language and in their facial expressions. I mean, yeah, maybe I've, maybe I've watched the guys too many times in these interviews, but, and maybe I'm just picking it apart, but I, I do think there's something there when you look at the photos or the videos of these guys and just how much they've changed from early albums to this point of, again, very, very kind of defeated. And you especially see it with Freddie. And Freddie's always been, even up to this point, I think you you can see he's hesitant to talk with the press because a lot of times the press get just way too personal and they still do that now. I mean, the press just love to poke and prod anybody in the limelight. They love to get the juicy stuff. So Freddie was always wanting to focus on the music, but you can kind of see, especially in that Brussels interview, that he's just done. I mean, he kind of looks like he doesn't want to be there. And I can't say I blame him. I mean, one of the first questions the interview opens with is that there's, there hasn't been a a big shift in, in the queen sound, which is, I mean, clearly this interviewer, what have they not been listening to? Because the guys have given just about every different kind of genre you can get even up to this point. So for an interviewer to say, well, there hasn't been much variation in the Queen's sound. And almost immediately, 
every single one of them kind of shakes their heads. Oh, oh, what? You know, and, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is when you're speaking to someone that clearly hasn't done their homework and just wants to start a ruckus or start a fire. You know what I mean? And I think the guys were just done with it, especially Freddie. A- and that's a shame because the guys are so smart and talented and well-spoken. You get them in the right interview, you get them in the right setting, and it's lovely and informative and gorgeous because they're finally free to talk about those things without being very unfairly criticized or judged, I think. And yeah, it's just funny to see how the dynamic has shifted between 74, 75, and here we are in 78, 79, and the guys are just totally different guys. It, this is not just younger men who've grown into their profession more. This is something else. And I think that's what it is. That's just my opinion, but I really think that's what it is. And and I'm going to talk about critics' sentiment now. And this is going to, I think, just emphasize all the more why the guys were so done rolling their eyes at the press at this point. Because here we go, here we go. Strap yourselves in, ladies and gents, because this is going to be a bumpy ride. And I apologize because I need to take a sip of water right now. (laughs) Wow, it is rough today. The voice is rough. All right, some gems from the press, you guys. Here we go. Cue the third-rate Gilbert and Sullivan. If you have a deaf relative, buy them this for Christmas. That was from NME. Here's another one. I would dearly love to like Queen as much as I did in the early 70s, but the task is becoming increasingly impossible. That was from Sounds. In March of 79, Mitchell Cohen of Cream wrote a review ripping this whole album apart, never even trying to hide his dislike for the album or the boys who made it. Here's just one thing he wrote, quote, their music is so absurdly dull on jazz, so filled with dumb ideas and imitative posturing that it's impossible to feel threatened by a barely competent rock group singing, if you can't beat them, join them. And wait, there's more. If only Queen could lock onto the simplest formula without attaching dead weights, If Freddie Mercury weren't such a screeching bore, even his cock rock like, don't stop me now, is flaccid, unquote. Wow, all caps, wow. I don't think this kind of writing should be allowed unless it's purely labeled as an opinion piece. But this was an actual review from this guy at Cream. But as always, you guys, Rolling Stone takes the cake. Here we go. Quote, Queen hasn't the imagination to play jazz. Queen hasn't the imagination, for that matter, to play rock and roll. Jazz is just more of the same dull pastiche that's dominated all of this British supergroup's work. Tight guitar, bass, drums, heavy metal cliches, light classical pianistics, Four-part harmonies that make the four freshmen sound funky and Freddie Mercury's throat-scratching lead vocals. Unquote. Now, there's more, but I won't talk about it. Let's just say the rest is so bad. 
Dave Marsh, who wrote that review, actually references a track from the previous album to make his point, which I find very desperate and unfair. If you're going to write about an album, stick to that album. I mean, okay, maybe you can reference previous work. I guess I've seen that in a fair amount of tough, very critical reviews of people's work. But I find it, I find it really desperate and bad when a reviewer has to go back in someone's catalog to make a point. It, it just, especially a bad point like that. I don't know. Rolling Stone even said that the album in retrospect wasn't that bad and that sometimes a reviewer simply has a low opinion of the band, which in this case would have been Dave Marsh. But you guys, fans almost across the board and at its release, as well as now, fans, thankfully, got this album. I mean, they didn't just buy it. They understood it and they still do. It's fun, simply put. And fans acknowledge that, even if this isn't a favorite. Though I dare say, I've seen many a fan rank this pretty dang high. All of Queen's albums considered. This may have been labeled fascist by Rolling Stone at its release, Uh uh-huh. But none of that has endured over the decades. I think jazz screams fun and energy and sees the boys celebrating life almost more than ever before, if I'm being honest. Yeah, Rolling Stone called jazz fascist, claiming that the guys were riding on this high, this we're so great. I mean, you do have numbers like, let me entertain you which literally throws in the words of both the British and American record labels that they worked with. But the guys, they're swinging it. They're having a good time. I mean, don't stop me now because I'm having a good time, right? The guys are celebrating what they love to do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So again, you have these publications taking things way too seriously, and they picked apart various songs on the album, claiming that, you know, women aren't even a sex object. They're just an object. And then they go on to say, oh, like every person is to the guys. People are just an object to Queen, which, again, super harsh, very judgmental. And I, I know the guys have always appreciated their fans. That's the reason they kept going. They couldn't please the press. So they made the music because the fans kept coming and listening to them and buying it. I mean, isn't that the only, well, isn't that one of the only reasons that, that people do what they do in the music business? It's still a business, I understand. There is money to be made. And that is a huge cherry on top. But, I'm telling you, when you connect with people with a song and you wrote that song, that's the other thing. These guys, they wrote everything. They did it together. They played everything together. It was always who they were. And I think the fans loved that about them. And if the guys didn't want to do this, they all have said, they all have said this for over the decades, even when Freddie was still alive. They said... If this wasn't working, we would, you know, we just got to write it while we have it. That was always their feelings around that. Whenever that question came up, well, what would you do if suddenly Queen just 
kind of died. You know, what would you do if people just stopped responding? And the answer was always, if we're going to keep making quality music that the people love, we're going to keep doing it. And that's exactly what they were doing here. I, I don't think they were trying to necessarily make a statement about anything. I think they wanted to have fun and I think they went into the studio to play and the people loved it. And that's, that is the ultimate thing with Queen is the people loved it. I have a lot of fun facts about jazz. Here we go. I had so many of them. I tried to keep them in chronological order from like album production all the way out to the touring stuff. So here we go. This is the last Queen album without synthesizers. And some would argue it's their last that incorporates every genre they ever did before they forever veered toward an entirely different direction, right? A little bit more dance infusion, a little bit more pop. I mean, it masquerades as a more mainstream album, jazz, with songs that are a much more conventional length compared to earlier records. I mean, we have songs that are on average, like three, four minutes long. We don't have the one minute, you know, lazing on a Sunday afternoon and the eight minutes profit song. You know, we don't have this huge dynamic of different lengths of songs, which on the surface makes this seem very, very mainstream. But certain songs incorporate complex arrangements that make them more progressive. And of course, we'll talk about that in detail as we go into the deep dives for each number. Jazz was recorded at Mountain Montreux and Super Bear, I should have looked up how to say this, Bear les Alpes, France. Ugh, guys, I'm terrible with pronunciations. I'm so sorry. John and Roger, both contributed two songs each once again. And actually, this is more of a Freddie-dominated composition album. For a few years, for a couple years there, Brian was really the driving force when it came to the writing. But here, Freddie has more compositions than any of the others. And the boys recorded outside the UK for a number of years, beginning with this album, Jazz, due to tax implications. Because if they spent... 300 of the year's 365 days outside of the country, they would be considered exempt. So thus began their first, quote unquote, year out, as the management team put it. And this was produced by Queen and Roy Thomas Baker. He's back. Roy is back. And yeah, he produced the boys' earlier albums, makes his return here. Interesting. This album was retitled in Turkey and France as Bicycle Race, which is, of course, a song on the album, with alternative artwork. Yeah, very interesting how it was retitled and, and the artwork was different in those two countries. Interesting. The album art, though, that we see everywhere else with that kind of psychedelic look, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, oh, oh my gosh, I'm totally drawing a blank. What do you call that? Like an illusion, <laughs> right? Where you have the pink and like that spiral thing going on with the word jazz coming out of the middle of it. It was suggested by Roger, who saw similar artwork that was painted on the Berlin Wall. And the album release included a poster 
of naked ladies riding bicycles, which was a shot from the promotional video for the single Bicycle Race. The single actually came out before the album did. And they had this idea of filming a bunch of naked ladies on bicycles going around this track for the video. And so they took a shot from it and they included a poster of that in the album release. But this poster was not included in the US release, but there was an order form (laughs) included if you wanted the poster. And the guys were not happy about that. They wanted it all packaged, you know? I mean, even I have my opinions about a bunch of naked ladies on bicycles, but the guys just thought it was a fun time, you know? I mean, they're guys, what, what can you say? But yeah, they were like, what? They couldn't believe it. But that is the facts. There you go. So I want to get into the quality of this album because before I understood more about this, I would have told you, I think the only thing lacking on this album, as much as I love it, is the quality of the sound. On the copy I have, which is, of course, just a CD, it's not an original vinyl, it's not anything like that, the drums sound very tinny at times, which I'm sorry to say, because Roger, I love you, but man, the drums don't sound that great in certain songs on this album. The bass is sorely lacking. In general, I think a lot of the lower frequencies are very weak, but here's the thing. So stick with me. Original pressings apparently had much better sound quality with a lot more punch and dynamic sound. But according to at least one person I saw who wrote a comment, some of them contained a glitch in track two of side one where the needle would get stuck. And I found an interesting forum in which reviewers discussed various pressings of this album. That's where I found that comment praising or lambasting different pressings of this album, depending on the sound quality. And it it came to be that there was one particular reissue that has supposedly superb quality. And I'm going to have to go back and look at it because you can look at the serial number. And that's how you're going to know that you have the best sounding pressing. And you know what, guys? I meant to go find that again and look it up for you. And I am going to do it right now on the fly, guys. Just give me a second. Okay. This is so great. I've, I've told you guys before, I love doing this stuff on the fly when I have you with me. I have to go find this website, though. What was it? <sighs> Let's see. I think it might have been Discogs, actually. Mm-hmm. That's exactly where it was. Okay, okay. Show all 62 reviews. There is one pressing. (sighs) That is the best jazz album. Referencing jazz album LP. Okay. I think it's this one. Jazz LP album. R-E-R-M-E-M-B. I think this is the most important part. Write this down. D0029461010. And I'm going to click on that just to make sure. This appears to be, it's a vinyl, Hollywood Records issue. Wow, released November 9th, 2018. Really? Hard rock, arena rock. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. That is supposedly 
Based on comments I've seen here, one of the best pressings you're going to get, at least a modern pressing. But if you can still get your hands on an original pressing, oh my gosh, I would so do that. But anyway, it was this fascinating deep dive, if you will, into the pressings of jazz. And I'm sure every album is like that. I mean, the number of foreign pressings and, and you know, all around the world, you have all these different pressings of these, these albums being made in, in these different places. And... It's just interesting to see how they sound. But apparently the original, original vinyl had a wonderful sound. And in particular, the song, the opening number, Mustafa, which we're going to talk about. We're going to get to it next episode, promise. People comment on that number being incredibly thin for about the first half. Now, if you listen to it, it's meant to be more, I think, mono-mixed until it suddenly bursts into all the speakers around you. I think it's meant to have that impact. But people talk about the weakness that's very badly lacking any kind of quality in the intro of the song. And I, I think, yes, it's meant to be that way, but perhaps it's worse on some pressings. I really don't know. But anyway, that is the interesting stuff about the different pressings for jazz. And I learned a lot just by going into that. So if you're big on sound quality and you want to get the best of the best of the best, just keep that serial number I gave you in mind. The jazz tour was their biggest yet. It included, I almost said 97, 79 shows and a return to Japan. And the band's first live and double album, Live Killers, was created from this tour's shows, all of which were recorded. All of which were recorded. Can you imagine? I mean, they loved being on the road, but knowing that you're being recorded every single time, I mean, it's awesome for us. We have so many references of live performances of these songs, you guys. It's wonderful. I can't wait to go into those numbers. Also, a brand new lighting rig nicknamed the Pizza Oven. And Brian once said, if you stood under it, you know why it was called the pizza oven? It was used on the jazz tour. Eight hours to set it up and another eight to take it down. Had incredible moving lights, structures, etc. They also innovated a small platform that was lowered at the front of the stage, which housed a small drum kit where the boys would perform their little acoustic medley. And Dreamer's Ball was part of that performance. Dreamer's Ball is great. And you know what? I didn't fall in love with it until I heard the live version. So that'll be a fun song to talk about. And Roger, of course, extended his drum kit with timpani on the stage, which he'd play impressive solos on, usually leading into or part of Brian's extensive guitar solos. Now, we cannot forget to talk about the pre-launch party for the album, which was on October 31st in New Orleans after the evening show in the same city. It took place at the New Dreams Fairmont Hotel, and it was organized and paid for by the boys themselves so they could invite both record companies, EMI of the UK and Elektra of the US. And EMI and Elektra both invited their own guests because they didn't want to be outdone by the other. This was also the first time the two companies met each other in person. So a little bit of fun friction there, I'm sure. All told, 400 guests, including press from several countries, and entertainment including, but not limited to, 
naked female mud wrestlers, fire eaters, Zulu dancers, strippers, drag artists, unicyclists. This thing went on all night and went down in history as the craziest, wildest party the boys ever had, at least up until that point. Yes, so the excess (laughs) reflects the musical excess. And I wanna talk about that a little bit. The guys at this point, they're doing very well. (laughs) You know, they've had several albums that they've made a lot of money with because remember, their first three albums, they were broke. I still can't believe that. They were broke all the way through Sheer Heart Attack and they didn't actually earn much until they broke like crazy with A Night at the Opera because remember they moved away from Trident Productions. They finally started working with John Reed. So they they were getting their fair share for once. And here, so they've had A Night at the Opera. They've had A Day of the Races. They've had News of the World. They're doing very well. You know, they've all moved out of their little flats. They have these great, nice houses. They have a lot of money. They can have some fun. And they started to have more parties and go out and do X, Y, Z and go see things and go explore and all this stuff. And Brian, and I should have pulled out my book. I have this great book where Brian in particular went into some very interesting details and talked about some of the things that he was even concerned about. And I'm going to talk about that as we get into some of the songs more because he alluded to several songs in particular. But he talked about how crazy things would get sometimes, especially with Freddie and how he worried sometimes. He worried about safety because things would get really, really out of control. And so you have these guys who are very wealthy now, they're having a good time, probably pushing a little too hard. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they have regrets about any of those things. That's really not my business. But the point is, from even most people's perspectives, I would say they were having a very good time. And that kind of attitude is showing in the music here. I mean, we got songs like Don't Stop Me Now. We've got songs like If You Can't Beat Them, Join Them. We've got songs like Let Me Entertain You. I mean, there, there's a lot of very assertive, very bold statements made on this album. And they're still fun. And again, I don't think we're supposed to take this too seriously. Roger himself said that. And really, the guys have always been about that. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Maybe the music making is a serious thing. But when it comes to the messaging, a lot of it's just fun and games. But yes, I think that excess starts to play into the music more, especially here. And we're going to hear that a little bit more and more and more in different songs as we move forward beyond the album jazz. But dang, I wish I pulled out that book because, you know, yeah, Brian is always the one. I think he is more transparent about things in the past than Roger is. And I'm not saying that that, that's a good thing necessarily. I'm just saying that, you know, Brian is very, very honest. And I think he likes to kind of explore their history that way a little more and talk about it because he likes to reflect on those moments and how it affected their whole journey. Whereas Roger's kind of, I think, never been one to talk as much about that stuff anyway, but I think there's a certain illusion and there's this mystery there that even Brian doesn't want to touch, you know? And there's certain things, honestly, that you never, you're never going to talk about it. We would never expect the guys to talk about exactly what happened at that party. I mean, 
it was a party. (laughs) And it was a crazy party. So we can only imagine. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff that Brian said over the years and the guys have all said over the years. And I think that's obviously influencing what we get on jazz, not necessarily in a bad way, but it's certainly there. And it's part of the whole queen thing. So it's just part of the journey. But I wanted to talk about that a little bit because it's definitely it's definitely a theme on jazz. But golly, I love this album. I love jazz. I, it's certainly jazzy in its freestyle flow. I mean, it's their funnest, perhaps their most energetic album from start to finish. There are some slower moments here, but really this is so celebratory. And it's similar to its predecessor. Yeah, it incorporates a huge range of styles, but it's still firmly entrenched in rock. It's definitely not as lush or produced as earlier albums, but its arrangements are more elaborate than News of the World, which was so sparse and minimal. But I think what really drives this is the confidence, the flesh, the ego. This is the fascist comment thing people were alluding to, is that the guys have such an ego. Well, of course they do. They're successful. They're, they're out there seeing the world. They're having fun, you know? They have a little attitude. That's rock and roll. And the boys aren't just having a good time. They're showing off as they party on jazz. Each of the boys gives us at least two tracks. Freddie returns as the lead songwriter. Yep with the most contributions, resulting in a very piano-heavy approach because of this. Speaking of Freddie, he's refined his singing with lessons from professional coach, oh gosh, you guys, Benvenuto Finelli. I think I said that right. A retired operatic tenor who gave high-profile private lessons. So Freddie actually trained with this guy. And on jazz, after years of press attacks and finally wealthy enough to enjoy a crazy and frenetic lifestyle, the guys show their carefree and party side, giving us driven, couldn't care less tracks like Fat Bottom Girls, If You Can't Beat Them, Fun It, and of course, Don't Stop Me Now. These songs and others are full of energy and encouragement. But they cover such a broad range of styles. Classical rock, disco, funk, sweeping ballads, arena rock, heavy metal, pop. Hence the title, jazz, and the jive and the attitude that Roger mentioned. And only glimpses of jazzier, bluesy styles appear. But I'm going to say what the boys would say. Who cares? This is the everything in the kitchen sink approach, and I love it. And despite the mixing quality, which I now believe is simply the product of remastering and or bad masters, this is easily one of Queen's most fun, complex, and satisfying albums. Performances across the board are incredibly impressive, especially Freddie's singing and his piano playing. He takes that thing from jiving rockin' numbers to more relaxed ballads. He's gotten so good at that shift in style on the ivories. Brian gives us vigorous, aggressive, adventurous guitar riffs, and he also provides innovative playing techniques to create unique sounds like a sitar. Also, thanks to Brian's quick thinking during a power outage at the studio, and with the help of a little handy recorder, we get a nice clap of thunder 
in Dead on Time. Gosh, I can't wait to talk about that one. Roger's drums are tight and altogether impressive, even if on some pressings they sound a little weak. His playing, his technique cannot be... Ugh. Cannot be overlooked. Just amazing, his playing. And John, no shortage of emotive bass lines that surprise and thrill and jive. The guys don't hold back. And like the now famous, don't stop me now, they're all in with unapologetic enthusiasm, confidence, and skill. Sleek. Absolutely sleek and polished and stylish this album is. I love this thing. And again, I, I looked forward to finding this thing more than almost any of the others when I first started listening to the albums. I will never forget the day I found this album on the shelf. I'm actually sad it wasn't a gently used copy. It's, it was a brand new, it was a brand new CD when I bought it. I wish I'd found something used. It's always fun to find something used that, yes, it's in good shape, but you know someone else had it and enjoyed it. But this one, you guys, so stoked when I picked it up. I was so, I was beaming. I was so excited. I recorded a video of myself in the car, opening it and talking about it and how much I couldn't wait to listen to it. And you guys, there's so much on this album that's beyond beyond the hits that we know. I think this album has, let me think about it for a second. I mean, really, there aren't as many hits on this album. Not, not as well known. Don't Stop Me Now, obviously, is, is one that's way up there. And it's interesting to note that Don't Stop Me Now is towards the end of the album, too. But the quality of the songwriting here, the tongue-in-cheek, the attitude, the sass, the impeccable performances, I mean, you cannot argue with that. The guys were on fire, like always. But, I mean, really, truly, just listen to Dead on Time. Let Me Entertain You is one of my favorite songs to sing from the guys. I love Freddie's attitude. Let me entertain you. Ooh, such attitude and fire, Freddie. Fire, Freddie. Fabulous fire, Freddie. I love it. It's so great. And the ballads here in only seven days. Beautiful number from John. Jealousy. Beautiful from Freddie. And that one, the piano in is stunning. There's a couple different versions of it, actually. There's one with, I think, is there more drums in it, I think? And then there's even, is it Don't Stop Me Now has a version with long lost guitars, I think. Maybe I'm thinking of another one. Anyway, everything kind of blurs together. This is what I tell you guys when I'm like, I have to write stuff down. I simply can't retain everything. But you guys, jazz, controversy, fascist comments around it, whatever. I think, like I said, that, that tag on this album has long since disappeared. I feel like now, especially now, especially new fans who dive into Queen, this album is such a fun one to listen to. It's so energetic. It's very uplifting. I talk about Queen and their jovial music, and this is one of their finest collections in that regard. Jazz. <sighs> Such a clever album, this one. Thank you, Queen, for giving us this. Thank you, Freddie, Brian, Roger, and John, 
for this brilliance. But that is it. My voice is fried. How long is this? Awesome. I've talked for a while. Okay. And in all honesty, I got to go. The, <laughs> I got to get the laundry out and put it in the dryer. Okay. That is the real life creeping into my episode. But I will talk to you guys next time. And we're going to dive right in to Mustafa. Okay. Until next time, guys, keep yourselves alive. Have fun. Don't even wait for me to talk about this album. Just, just go listen to jazz. Go find the songs online and listen to it from start to finish. It's fun. You will enjoy it. It's great. All right, guys. Later.